0: like do what you want to do do like be with a person you love um our grandparents um on our father's side they are like the 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 marker of like this is what love should be um they were together they made each other happy they put each other above everything else and that should be the goal for everybody And, and, and anything that could get in the way of that i think discard it like put love first like not to be sappy and like it's 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 in every it's in so many movies it's in so many books but not everybody does it It, like put love first like put the people you love first and like that should be first and foremost
1: zach servideo from boston speaks up that was the voice of today's guest and my brother keel servideo an incredibly inspiring figure in my life, uh, someone who spent years out in Los Angeles working for Hollywood titans like Sean Levy and Jerry Bruckheimer. Most recently, he spent the last year of the pandemic living abroad in Spain and now Italy, where he's in a 300-year-old home in Umbria with his wife. They're both working remote for a startup out of LA, and I'm really excited to sort of ease into the 2021 new year sharing this personal conversation with folks and also introducing everyone to Keel because he's an author, he's a storyteller and a little bit of a tease. I think you'll you'll really like some of the things that he's going to be introducing in the Boston Speaks Up podcast platform later this year. So without further ado, we'll get on to the conversation, but as always if you have thoughts, recommendations, uh, any ideas, or just want to say hello to me, reach out Zach at fabricmedia.net. And I really appreciate you listening. Silicon Valley Bank is a proud sponsor of Boston Speaks Up. For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped innovative companies and their investors move bold ideas forward fast. SVB provides targeted financial services and expertise through its offices at 53 State Street in downtown Boston and in Newton and innovation centers around the world. With commercial, international, and private banking services, SVB helps address the unique needs of Boston's innovators learn more at svb.com zach servideo here from boston speaks up i'm here with author world traveler and my brother keel servideo keel what's up
0: hey uh, <laughs> honor for, to
1: be here <laughs> thanks thanks for joining the podcast you've been such a supporter in the background uh, back in the beginning when i had the idea to do this and then over time uh as i've Tested and tinkered with with format and just ways to connect with people and just overall just being super encouraging of me. Um, really appreciate it.
0: Well, I I'm um, been really proud about what you've been doing with this, and uh, I feel honored that you'd ask me to be, ask me to be on it because you've had so many accomplished people, and I don't know that I'd put myself in that category, but at the same time, I do think I have uh, an interesting perspective to offer, and I also think the Ah, uh, the fact that we are brothers separated by this pandemic in a very unique way um, makes for a very good um, a good good cause for a connection.
1: Yeah, right on. And and I w- I would agree. And, and sort of for listeners, it's been a little little bit of a holiday hiatus. Uh, last conversation we put out was with Neil Jacobs, the former attorney of the Boston Celtics, who told us some dynamite stories about Red Auerbach and Danny Ainge. If you haven't checked that out yet. Um, but sort of spent the holidays really just focusing on ending the year strong, uh, and, and spending time with, with my immediate family. And then also just staying connected to, uh, my family out, all over the world, including abroad, which is where it, we'll, we'll dig into, but we're talking to Kiel right now. And he's in Umbria, Italy in a 300 year old house. Kiel, why don't you just paint the picture of where you are right
0: now? So... I'm currently sitting at the window of this 300 year old, um, but thankfully renovated because, you know, otherwise this would be probably not as comfortable an experience, uh, house in the Umbrian countryside, uh, about two hours North of Rome, uh, nestled in the hills between the cities of Todi and Orvieto. And when I say cities, I mean, uh, very small, uh, stuck in the 15, 1600s, just stone fortresses on top of hills. Um, and I am looking out over rolling countryside towards snow-capped mountains um, in the heart of a country that uh, I've always felt connected to, because Zach and I are uh, 50% uh, Italian-American. And um, I, you, you may hear the sound of Shotgun shots ringing out during this call, and I apologize for that. But I am kind of nestled near a very vibrant hunting community, and there are wild boars to be to be shot into uh, in, a, in a population to be um, to be culled. So you might hear a little bit of that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where I am, and that's where I've been since the beginning of November.
1: Wild, so. So you've been in Italy since the be you've been in Umbria since the beginning of November. You spent some time in Rome before that, and then you spent about a year in Spain. Uh, so exactly
0: been- a year, exactly <laughs> a year, yeah.
1: So uh, we're gonna kind of dig into that a little bit and and sort of go through how you got from the the middle child in, in the Servideo trio, the the one least likely to live abroad, to the one you know, f- who first moved out to Los Angeles and now finds himself in a 300 year old home in, in Umbria. Um, so what I, what I, what I'd love to do is just sort of kind of give a quick background for listeners on, um, just a few things that Keel Keel's Kiel's done. And I think accomplishments come in all sorts of inter- interesting shapes and sizes. I think Kiel, y- your humility is nice to have on the podcast, but honestly, there's there's so many people that will hear sort of some of the things you've done in life and, and say, damn, like those are things I I aspired to do at one point. But I just didn't get around to it. Um, but sort of quick background. So, you know, Keel and I obviously grew up in Methuen, Massachusetts. Uh, Keel went to Boston University, graduated a couple of years after me. He moved out to Los Angeles and really got his hustle on working for various temp agencies. Uh, if you know anything about L.A., you know it's not the most fun to have to take the bus around town, but that was Keel taking the bus around, making ends meet. Um, and he's, he's ended up landing a job on the desk of Jerry Bruckheimer. Um, Keel, I usually say most famous for the pirates of the Caribbean movies, but I mean, do you want to just throw out some of the big movies that, that Jerry is responsible for?
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing about Jerry is that like, you, like pick your decade of just dominating the industry. Cause if you say the eighties, then you're talking about Top Gun and Beverly Hills Cop, and then if you get into the '90s, you're talking about Days of Thunder, Con Air, The Rock, and then you get to the 2000s, and oh, and also National Treasure, which maybe that's in the 2000s. So the National Treasure movies, the Pirates movies, um, just like you know, a, such a ridiculous career. Like I, I was a weird kind of person chasing like the Hollywood career path because. I I knew who Jerry I knew the Jerry Bruckheimer name. You you know you see those movies and you you recognize it in the credits. And a, a name like his is always going to be very prominent at the beginning and the end of the movie. But I didn't realize how much this guy was connected to. Like I I should have known the lay of the land and the biggest players and even the smallest players. But when that job came on my radar and I was kind of sought out to because I was well you know to connect this to Boston. I was sought after for that job because I was a hungry Boston kid and, and they needed somebody who was just like a blue collar worker because it was, mm-hmm. I'm just going to correct a little bit of your intro. It wasn't on the desk. I mean, I, I, w- I would get to do that job for, for somebody else later. But with Jerry, I was a personal assistant. I was a gopher. I was whatever needs to be done guy, which I was fine with. And like, that is the, a good kind of job to have when you are 24, when you were 3,000 miles from your family and you're trying to justify this is why I moved across the country and I'm going to work and I'm going to like earn my place here and I'm going to like do it while my counterpart is a New York City trust fund kid who scoffs at taking dogs to the vets where it's like, nah, that's not me. I'm, I'm like, I'm the hustler. I'm going to do this and I'm going to get this done.
1: Hell Yeah. Yeah, you sp- actually. That's that's true. You didn't spend much time on a desk. I think at, at one period of time, you spent most of your time taking care of Jerry's dogs.
0: Yeah, he had um, he had five dogs when I was there, and unfortunately, they were they're were great. They're all except a very violent. Uh, not violent. He was um, an energetic, let's say, border collie, and which they just need to get out their energy. And he warmed up to me eventually, but. The other four were golden retrievers, which just they like any very thoroughly bred animal. They they had a high cancer rate. Three of them had cancer by the time I left that job, and a lot of my time in the last few months was trying to give them care. And because Jerry very very much valued them, so therefore I valued them, and I actually appreciated that I was able to, as much as it doesn't sound nice on paper, like I was doing an important thing to, for my employer. So you know it it meant a lot to me to like be there for those dogs and at some point they started to feel like mine too i was i was still finding um little blonde hairs in like my ventilation system in my little Hyundai Elantra like 8 years later before i sold it like it was like that's how much they were just kind of like embedded into my life for uh for those 14 months that i worked for him
1: that's wild and i remember we you led the soccer team the Wolf pack um, that eventually uh, evolved into was it the dolphin pack
0: that we the wolfins the wolfins yes yeah yeah the wolf pack m- mated with uh, club dolphin, our friend Jay, and then we, we made a wolfin and we made, <laughs> made the champions. there
1: we go so the the, the once owen 24 or the owen '22 wolf pack evolved into a uh, championship winning wolfen team but but I bring that I bring that soccer team up because it was really interesting you sort of with the help of others like but you were sort of the leader kind of curated a, a mix of great guys that were obviously still pretty decent th- soccer players but had interesting jobs in the entertainment industry and I think it was no secret that j- between that and then just all the, you know friends you had in the industry Jerry Bruckheimer's desk or, and his sort of like gopher assistant role or roles because multiple ones existed were not the types of roles that people lasted in for more than four to six months. Um, it was like a feat just to make it there for six months. And then you ended ended up there 14 months, which, which I just kind of want to emphasize that point a little bit because that, you know, for folks that maybe are interested in, in playing the Hollywood long game and, Maybe don't listen to to kill talk about this stuff for too long because it might deter you from it. Uh, <laughs> but putting in that work on Jerry, on you know, for Jerry for fourteen months, it afforded you a u- unique opportunities because folks in the industry knew that you could do whatever work was required to sort of satisfy the needs of you know a baller producer. Um, so how did you kind of make that migrate, you know, that, that migration from Jerry Bruckheimer to, to Sean Levy and, you know, cause that was sort of the next move you made and kind of, I think the, the move you made in Hollywood where you were probably the most happy, um, while still ultimately finding some, you know, finding some things and, and coming to the ultimate conclusion to leave LA, uh, but talk about that sort of, you know, move to, to Sean's desk and, and what that was, you know, what that was like.
0: Right. So I would say that um, my opportunity to work for Jerry was the right time. It, it was um, a very demanding job that I would not have wanted to do if I was, you know, even in my late 20s, let alone, you know, any anything older. And, and I actually worked with somebody who was doing my role and he was in his 30s because it was that kind of job where like it you you can it's a calling card. To say that you are the, uh, that you are in the orbit of somebody who's that successful and who's that demanding, and, and Jerry was not like a demanding, like he wasn't a screamer. I was never belittled, like I thankfully never had to deal with that because I don't know that uh, I, I don't know that mentally, like I would have wanted to put up with that. I think I would have kind of um i think i would have put my foot down and said like i have too much self-respect to deal with that because i i never felt comfortable with that type of treatment that a lot of powerful people not just in hollywood but really in any industry feel like they can get away with because of their power um but working for jerry just like working for a lot of big producers in the in the town or directors or studio heads or partners at an agency um Emanuel, who's like the the foundation of um of Ari's character in entourages like this, like these people are tough to work for. They are demanding. It is a boot camp. And I, I got through it. And you're right. Like it is an accomplishment to survive three months, let alone six, and then let alone like, let alone fourteen. And I was so proud that I was able to do that. Um, I kind of was always just like, okay, let's get through planning this hockey tournament. Cause I like ran a hockey tournament that Jerry had in Las Vegas every summer. And then let's get through like this movie premiere and it's, it's like, things are nuts leading up to this premiere. Like, it was always like, okay, if I can just get through this and then I'll reassess how much more I can take. And before I knew it, I was just like able to do it. And, and it was still like demanding hours and I was always on the clock. Like I worked every Sunday night managing a hockey game for him. Um, but I was able to do it without just feeling like that kind of constant stress and really that feeling of like possible failure that is not a fun way to live for an extended period of time um, and I was just I felt like capable of doing anything um, when Sean Levy had an opening at his company, Twenty One Laps Entertainment. Uh, I was high on their list of potential, you know, people to 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 seek out because I had been an intern at his company when I when I went out to LA when I was in college, and I and I formed good relationships and I showed that I was just like a humble, hard worker. Which you know, I learned very quickly. Like this was a benefit of being a BU kid versus being a UCLA, or USC, or or an NYU student like those people more often than not not always were just coming with like a lot of attitude like you're gonna have me get coffee you're gonna have me take lunch orders don't you know who i'm gonna be like you know i go to tish like i'm gonna i'm I'm about to like run this place and you're gonna have me do that like i was never gonna be that guy you know like we you and i we, we grew up um yeah, I, I pumped gas. I I I was a landscaper. I worked for a moving company. I worked in a warehouse. Like we, I'm I was fine with applying that blue collar work ethic in uh, a white collar world, and I won over people in that company as a result. So when they came calling, and they said, "Hey, we have an opportunity for you to be Sean's second assistant, more uh, some desk, but still the personal stuff." Um, but we think that you'll be perfect when the time comes when the number one chair opens up that you would be that good guy like that you would you you, you've met him like you guys would have a good energy together because sean is just sean is positive energy constantly um and to be uh just because he's not as much of a name as he probably should be but i promise you know him. sean is responsible for the ninth museum movies um, and most importantly, right now, Stranger Things. Sean is that force behind that. Uh, he is the he is the glue who has put that together. He directs episodes, but he's also a producer. And that company that I worked at, Twenty One Laps Entertainment, was the driving force behind that. Um, so when this opportunity came, uh, it was still going to be a challenging job, but a challenge that like I can. I could meet because of what I'd done for Jerry, and and now I realize like oh, thankfully I I had this job and I I've been through the boot camp, so now I can go work for somebody where I'm going to be much more face to face. I'm going to be having conversations. I'm going to be telling him what I think about the projects he's working on, the projects he's considering. Like I'm going to be going to premieres with him, and uh, if I want to, I can go on set with him and be his right hand man. Um, but like, I'm going to leave the office at seven and that's going to be it. I'm not going to work until nine o'clock every night and sometimes later, and then like get home and still be responding to BBMs because this is Blackberry days when I worked at Bruckheimer. And I'm not going to be glued. Like, my, <laughs> even when things got better, when I worked for, for, for at Bruckheimer Films, I always needed to have my phone on me. And I, I, mm-hmm. I forget if you were living in LA during that time at all. I'm sure you visited during that time, but it was, you really need your 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 socialization when you have a job like that. You need your time to decompress when you have a job like that and you don't fully get it. And a lot of people have jobs like this. I'm sure a lot of people right now are listening and nodding because like, you know, whether they work at a startup or they're working in the financial world, you are never off the clock and you are expected to hop to it when that call comes. And when the opportunity to work at 21 laps came, it was not only an opportunity to kind of have a more prominent role in an up-and-comer's world, it was an opportunity to have a more sane life that surrounded it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I remember visiting you, cause you you moved out, you graduated in tw- 2009. So I think you moved out in the July, summer, early summer. Yeah, 2010. So July, 2010, and then I, didn't move out until the end of 2012. So, for the the next two years, I I visited for Thanksgiving. Um, And I remember on Sundays, when you would be doing your best to socialize and kind of enjoy your weekend time away from the job quote marks, because you never really were, you'd just get sucked into the Blackberry because, and this is, I remember when you were working for Jerry, because you were organizing and responsible for a Sunday night hockey game, which actually is an interesting kind of story to the extent that you're like, what details you're willing to share and like some of the figures that played in that game, but pretty significant sort of like local Hollywood celebrity hockey player game that, that Jerry or, you know, that Jerry led, but it was really the Keel video organization show Um, that, 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 that was like ran your life. For, for a while. Um, it was, look, yeah,
0: yeah. It, it, it kind of like the dogs, I, was, I learned very quickly um, and the people I worked for at Bruckheimer, like they were demanding, but they were also clear. And I've certainly learned in jobs that have followed that clear signs of expectations are, are just, that's a good sign of leadership. So like, say like, look, yeah, you're going to be like, Taking dogs to the vet. And, you know, if something ever happens, like, you know, you, we, we need you to be available, but you're like, you're, you're also going to be running this hockey game for Jerry every Sunday night. You're organizing it, you're getting the people. And if, like, if the game isn't good, if the teams aren't fair, if people don't show, it's on you. And I, I, I appreciated that experience because I think that that's a good lesson for everybody to learn. Hopefully, you, you don't always need to exist in a world where like if something can be put on you, then you have to take the blame and you have to, you know, be culpable and like take your get your wrist slapped. But it was good for me because it made me go above and beyond to <laughs> I don't want to say names, but like some actors, some producers and some just like normal guys who just played hockey and were in Derry Circle. Like I had to email those guys and know, like, if you tell me you're in, like no later than like f- like Friday morning, are you allowed to drop out of that Sunday night game? And I I got more and more comfortable over my time because you know there were certainly weekends where all of a sudden three guys drop out on a on a Saturday and I'm trying to fill the game and like I know like if this is you know if if there's no subs at this game, Jerry's gonna look at me and like, he's not gonna want to hear the reasonings behind it. Um, he's just going to say like, you got to do better. And, and I appreciated that because Jerry treated me like he was like, kind of giving me the wax on wax on. This is how you become a producer. This is how you become as successful as I am. You take ownership over everything. You don't let anything in your control slip and you work magic that you maybe shouldn't be able to work. Like the time that I had to find a tequila that had been that he like, you know, wanted for a party that he had drank once and it was really good. And it turned out that that tequila had been out of uh, production for years. And, and my gut instinct was to say, "Hey, can't get you that because it doesn't exist." But that wasn't a suitable answer, and I forget how because a lot of that, a lot of that time, and a lot of that w- those work experiences were, you know, they've been pushed out of my brain and try to make room for beautiful, long views of Italian countryside like I'm looking at now. But uh, I was able to find that tequila somehow, somewhere, <laughs> some way, and I got it done. Someone randomly had a stockpile
1: of of no longer produced tequila?
0: It, yeah, it, it might have been like some liquor store maybe in the valley that just like, yeah, it was like still in the back. And it was it was partly because it was this really cool bottle. Like that's just like one of those random little and like, you appreciate those lessons because every time you accomplish something like that, no matter how demanding it is, you, you, you just get a confidence. Like it's like a, that and like so many other things that I was able to get done for Jerry. By the time I got to Sean, like Sean benefited from all of the experiences of Jerry. Cause like I was so confident and so ready to just get on Sean's desk and handle his world and like be his, like, not collaborator, it's not like I was offering much, but like just be like a partner. Like do every, like there is, Sean got like everything that he could have gotten from me because of what I'd learned at Bruckheimer, because I was just so ready to put like maximum keel forward and just like be a great assistant that helped other people succeed, which isn't the goal for most people when they move to Hollywood. It certainly wasn't my initial plan when I moved to Hollywood, just like oh, I'm just gonna be a really good assistant. But I'm very proud that I, that I was that person. And in like a bigger picture way, I want that to be who I am for my entire life. I want to be a person who helps his family, helps his wife, helps his friends, helps wherever he works. Like, you know, I can handle the maybe lower level stuff, the coordination stuff, like the, the hustle work stuff that way you can thrive and like succeed and like, Maybe I'm not like going to be the the big one that's like being like heralded in the credits, but I know that like my part is critical to you like doing what you want to do.
1: Yeah, that's great, and and never, I mean, the respect was there for I mean for listeners. Like I I actually hearing Keel talk about Sean and that relationship, it actually gives me it gives me like the goosebumps a little bit and 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 feel very happy just thinking specifically about your wedding, Keel, and how Sean Mm -hmm. was Sean attended your wedding and was, was, I mean, I can't emphasize for people how, how much that means, right? Like it's, it's, it's atypical for, for someone in Sean's role to go and attend at that point, I think you'd become like his sort of like first assistant, but I just remember him going and making his rounds around the wedding. He came up to me, you know, at some point after the best man speech and just wanted to make a point of saying like, you know, you know, good speech. I love. You know, I I I care a lot about your brother. He's an amazing person, and like, he he wanted to, he he was there, like, just in such support of you. Um, which which to me, like that that in and of itself was was one of the great accomplishments. I feel like in your life is that you you so won Sean over that you know he. I think he flew up, right? Did he fly up to Santa Barbara from LA? Like he, he made sure that he was at your wedding and he made sure he, he let all of your close immediate family know what an amazing person you were. And we already knew that, but it just really meant, it was just like super cool that he, he was um, you know, he was, he was going out of his way to make those points to us so
0: absolutely yeah, yeah. i i remember how he he made sure he, he spoke to you and he spoke to our parents and i think he even talked to grammy um and yeah it was i invited him just because i felt like you know like this is a person who deserves to be invited but i totally understood that more likely than not he wouldn't be able to attend um it's it was a miracle cuz this is a guy who is in Vancouver for months at a time to like shoot something or Atlanta cuz you know those are kind of the two most prominent places that you have to go shoot whether it's film or TV um so the fact that he was around and then not saying like oh like i'm rarely in town i'm just focusing on family stuff right now and he came was was very special and um we we had a good a really strong bond and it was um, it meant a lot to me that he he always made me feel appreciated. He always made me feel like I was valuable. and And I think that that goes a long way, and it's not a necessary thing in a lot of workplaces, which is unfortunate. And it's like it's one of those things that I think if you start somewhere, you have to accept like you're not always going to get a person telling you that they're grateful for the little things that you do and that what you're doing is critical to the operation. and those little moments would come from Sean quite often and 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 all it did was make me just reinforce my commitment to him and making sure that I was not dropping balls and and helping him continue to succeed and continue to direct a movie while he was editing a movie while he was prepping a movie that he was going to produce and then not to mention all the other things that were like always like in the queue to be made like Leading up to Stranger Things, he was like producing like four movies at once. He had like just finished directing This Is Where I Leave You. Um, a Rival was coming out, like an Oscar contender, like a beautiful movie. I was so excited we made that. Like he was taking his company that was family movies, it was Pink Panther, it was Cheaper by the Dozen and just married in the ninth museum movies. It was like lighter comedies and it was family stuff. And he does that really well. Like he came up directing a lot of Disney and uh, Nickelodeon shows in the nineties. And Sean went, did like, despite the fact that in Hollywood, like in any business, the people who want to work with you want to work with you because you've proven to do a certain thing well, and they're saying, like, okay, keep on doing this thing. You're going to get our money, you're going to get our resources. If you keep on doing this thing, you've proven well. And I really respected Sean for saying, Yes, I do that thing well, but did you know I can also do this thing well? And I can do that thing well, and I can do this well too. And I think that that is really admirable mm-hmm. because it that type of flexibility is not encouraged, but it and, it and it and he put himself out there to do it. And I was very proud. To be a part of his transformation into this kind of next level um juggernaut that he is now that's great so so i kind of want to bear with me here i'm going
1: to kind of paint these sort of parallel tracks up to this point in your life where you're now firmly cemented as like sort of the number one assistant for sean you're running the uh you know thriving uh Wolfen soccer team, uh, (laughs) in the Santa Monica Soccer League, you're, um, you're married to your, to your lovely wife and, and you have this beautiful life in Los Angeles and sort of, so, so on in that it, it shortly sort of after this picture I just painted, you know, you make the decision to pull back from Hollywood. Uh, in almost an instant, you're, you're driving for Uber, you're writing a little bit more, you're still running the soccer team and you're, and you're just as, if not more happy and sort of in tandem with this whole track you're on, you were on your own, you know, pursuit from Methuen, Massachusetts to Boston university, to Los Angeles. And you wrote a book and you wrote a book about the journey and you did a lot of sort of it, it, the, the book is very much sort of it, it's, it, and I want you to describe it, but it, but it sort of a fiction that's sort of, you know, solidly based on your life. That is, is a rather good seem, seems to me as your brother, like was a rather good exercise and in introspection on sort of you know what it is that you are pursuing to increase the, Variables and that you know happiness quotient that was going to help you live the happiest life ever as you pursued your version of of manifest destiny. So talk about that. Talk and 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 specifically, let's go back in time. Like talk about the journey and describe a bit. You know, and for listeners, this may be fun. Like, tell what was it like growing up in Methuen? Feel free to throw me under the bus for the the. Not so great things a older brother of only nineteen months may do to his younger brother who's extremely good at everything, including all the sports we played, uh, and sort of paint and paint that picture. You know that that ultimately um, has you, you know, marrying the love of your life in Santa Barbara and, and living this great life in L.A.
0: Um, I think that. My childhood, our childhood was very normal and very uh, entertaining. I, I, I never felt that bored. And I felt very kind of comfortable with, with everything that we had. And I, I'm sure that a lot of people have this because, in the end, like your experience is all you know, especially when you're a kid and you can't start projecting yourself into other lives, but i I just grew up feeling like I have the absolute best family in the world. I live in the absolute best town in the world. um Boston is the greatest city in the world. I never want to be anywhere but here. I never want to I never want to travel like I had no desire to travel. I feel like I'm kind of like our father in that way because our dad, who's like this just would bust his butt at UPS. And then when we get a vacation, like he was fine with just like hanging out by the pool and like, you know, maybe doing some work on the house. He wasn't like, let's go on a road trip. Let's, you know, maybe we'd go to Hampton beach or Southern Maine, but like that was it. And I, I, I feel like I'm very much his son in that way. I certainly grew up his son in that way. Um, and at the same time, I always wanted to do something great and part of that was because i just wanted to leave a mark that outlived me um i've always been very terrified about the idea that one day i just cease to be i mean it's it's something we all have to face and it's just i've it has been something that since i was like a kid has just been prominently like every now and then like the thought just dances through and it kind of hold over me for a while. And I felt that it was reason to do two things. Number one, make sure you're not like wasting anything, like do what you want to do, do like, be with a person you love. Um, Our grandparents um, on our father's side are like the, they are like the, the the marker of like this is what love should be um they were together they made each other happy they put each other above everything else and that should be the goal for everybody and 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 anything that could get in the way of that i think discard it like put love first like not to be sappy and like it's 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 in every it's in so many movies it's in so many books but not everybody does it. it like put love first like put the people you love first. And like, that should be first and foremost. Um, so that was like one thing. It was just making sure that like, I am intentional with what I do, that I am, I, I am, I am putting beautiful things into my life and, or adding beautiful things to my life and and, and, and loving and, and just try to keep like that, like, let that be my compass. And then the other side, like, but, and, and then find a way to do something that when you're gone, it's still there. And even better if like people know it and they remember you because of it. And I think that that is like the foundational urge that is why I, I write. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't read a lot as a kid. And then I started reading towards the end of high school. And I realized that, especially if like with certain writers, like, you know, Kurt Vonnegut, like you remember my Kurt Vonnegut face, like I just wanted to devour everything. Like this was a person. Yeah. You
1: pulled me in a little bit. I, I I started, I binged on Kurt Vonnegut books thanks to you.
0: Yeah. And I feel like we all need our Kurt Vonnegut face. Like, (laughs) yeah, that was, that was a man who his personality was in those pages. Like, he was a specific kind of person whose life experiences was, were always on the page. He was sometimes a character in his own fiction, uh, or sometimes it was just like, you know, he could not escape the fact that he was, you know, a German-American kid from Indianapolis whose, you know, father was an architect, whose mother killed herself, who, who was taken prisoner in World War II and, and survived the bombing of Dresden, and he mined... That life, and so well across so many books, and and the the greats that we know about, like you know Slaughterhouse Five, and ones that are less heralded, like like Mother Night, which people should read because. Galapagos, um, one of my favorites from in this period was kind of when he was getting over like his own suicide attempt is Bluebeard. It's all Mm -hmm. about a man just kind of like who just has like one masterpiece in him. He's like this artist who never quite makes it. And he channels his kind of defining moment of his life into one final piece that you don't see until the end of the book. And I just think it's so beautiful because I'm, I'm comfortable with being that guy. I'm comfortable in the the pursuit. Right. uh, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. I'm comfortable with, I've kind of, I've kind of, you know, shaken my grip on the belief that I need to be a, a literary hit who people know me and people read me and I'm, I'm in like high school curriculum. Like that doesn't need to happen. I don't care if that happens. I am going to create Whatever beauty I have inside me, and put it into a story, and write the story that I can write that I know in the way that I can do it well. Because I can't do all writing well, but there's a specific kind of writing that I think I can do well, and that is, and if and if it turns out that like you know the one book I wrote is the only book I wrote. And that's the best I can do, then that's fine. And that's left behind. And maybe it's just a family relic that's through videos, pass around like, oh, yeah, yeah, my great-grandfather wrote this book. Mila can say like, oh, yeah, my Uncle Kiel wrote this book. And it's just a way for people to like know me in a little bit more of an intimate way and maybe hopefully learn something through the experience of reading, then I'm okay with that. Um, and that kind of acceptance, I think, has been something that kind of gets to what your question was, which is like, how do I go from like being in in Hollywood and having the position that I had to doing what I'm doing now? And I I think that I went to LA to, I went to LA to be a screenwriter on the surface to like, cause that, that felt like a more practical application of, of writing You know, even though I I never showed any talent at writing screenplays because it's a different type of writing. And it never happened. And then I started to get very shaken by like, okay, what am I doing? What do I want to be? Like, how do I fulfill like kind of my not purpose, but like, you know, whatever is like the passion and urge inside me. And it was writing a book. It was writing fiction. It was Creating something that hopefully some like kid who's not fully happy, not fully in uh, grasping what his life is and who he is and what he wants it to be, and reads my story about that and feels like, oh, okay, good. This is like I, that empathetic journey just in, enriched me. This just helped me maybe move forward with my own issues, with my life, or if nothing else that's an experience that now I have like been, you know, I have received and it's like, it's just, it's just a part of me now. And now I I'm more in that way. Um, and I think that in order to like desire that outcome, I need to release this, like this hold of like doing something great. And it's like, that needs to be the outcome. Because I think like thinking about the outcome was making me very unhappy and making me very hard on myself that I was a failure and that I wasn't, um, I, I just like, I, I had wasted my potential and I was wasting my time. And then that turned into, and I'm wasting my wife's time and I'm wasting my, my, my brother and my parents and my sister who have just been like, cause you guys like who have always believed in me and made me feel like I can be this person who does this great thing like and I'm letting them all down. And all of this was happening while I was in this working in this industry where I was surrounded by successful people and I just kind of had to acknowledge that in order for me to fulfill my the the kind of creative and uh, passion inside me I needed to let go of that desire for it to be great and just go forward, creating and living the way I need to live and then creating whatever comes forth from the best me.
1: I love it. So as we sort of transition from Los Angeles to abroad, uh, you decided to, and this is pre, so prevent pandemic. So pandemic really starts to go down early 2020 in the fall of 2019, you made your way through Boston. You were staying with us in Beverly and, and then you, you went off to, to Spain. Um, so describe the program that you did in Spain. I think it's interesting. Um, it's actually a a member of, of my team at Fabric Media, uh, Annie Edwards, who, you know, um, and she, she, um, does the same program that that you and your wife Anne went over to do, which is to basically, um, you know, teach English to um, young sort of grade school students in Spain, and and more specifically, just help those students sort of articulate the things that they were already being taught in Spanish, but but help them learn sort of and understand the the words um, to use to to sort of describe. Uh, you know, multiplication and division, sort of like math terms in English. Uh, So, so, so if you could share, share with listeners like that decision process and what that program was, and then, and then describe what it was like to be in Sevilla, Spain um, pre pandemic and what it seemed like your year was going to look like. And then what did it abruptly sort of shift to um, as things kind of entered a lockdown state?
0: So I feel like I need to start my answer by fully, uh, answer maybe finishing my answer from before, because maybe I, you know, got on, got on a a track that didn't fully address your previous question, which was, which has to include the fact that I, I drove Uber for a year and a half after, after, after getting off the seat of, uh, of Sean and, and pulling away from the industry and just really trying to like and the idea behind that was like you need to you need to throw yourself back out into the ocean keel because you've gotten comfortable and you've gotten stagnant and you need to you need to figure out like you know what you're doing and determine like, and and you need to respond to some adversity again, because I felt like I responded to adversity when I went to LA after being unemployed for a while and just kind of picking myself up from, 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 from the ground and like building my adult life from scratch. And then I just kind of went, went flat and didn't do anything for a while. So I quit the job and my wife and I, we, we decided we wanted to travel just because, What better time than now? And we we went abroad, call it an extended honeymoon. We ended up um, bumping around like parts of Europe uh, for four months, and then going back to LA more or less when the money ran out because the plan was just to do it, and it was reckless, and it was free, and it was silly, but it was like incredible. And then we get back to LA and now it's like, okay, so do I just like seek out my co- contacts in Hollywood? Do I go back to a job like that? Am I finally ready to like say like, oh, now that I've had all these Hollywood jobs, now that I have been the man at the side of the man for so long, am I ready to start taking on a bigger role in his company or in another? Like, And it wasn't there. So I was like, all right. So I don't know what I want to do. That's okay um in the meantime let me drive uber because that seems like it'll be fun and i can hopefully um at some point something in me will wake up and i will decide what i want and then 18 months went by and uber turned into just my job for a while and i was you know writing and 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 driving and and just trying to kind of figure out what it was that i wanted to go do next what i wanted to commit myself to uh beyond the writing which you know based on the way i have you know described it now uh, the kind of writing i want to do like you know it's not like i was counting on and i'm still not counting on writing being the way that i make a living and the way that i survive and the way that i one day provide for children and 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 all that so you know i need to be doing something else so i was in this kind of period and it was very up and down. It was very much like soul searching period of my life, reflecting as I do often on like, okay, how did I get here? And why am I here? And what am I missing? What am I doing wrong? How can I do it better? And what do we want? And really, the thing that Ann and I wanted more than anything was the ex- opportunity to live abroad like we we had traveled and we had been so many places but we wanted the opportunity to like let's try like living somewhere let's like try getting there and then staying like you know anytime like you you live in a new place it's like you know planting yourself in like a new soil and like you know what do you become there like i'm i'm like i'm 18 years of methuen plus four years of boston plus 10 years of of LA like all those layers like that that makes something interesting and we're, we're all that and we wanted the to add a layer of soil of living abroad but it was it was kind of something that we didn't know how to make real and then we found out about the auxiliar de conversacion program in Spain which is um, an opportunity for people from native English-speaking countries to come to Spain to make um, a stipend, a monthly stipend, uh, as English English language assistance in a classroom because most of Spain is in doing bilingual uh, bilingual programs. Not every little pueblo can do it because their education system isn't strong enough, but throughout the country, this is happening. They also have like a smaller program for uh, for French, and so there's even some places where they do German. Um, but I think English is the biggest one, and you. You're able to do, you're able to, uh, so Ann and I realized that this was our, our, our chance. It would be very little money. It would be, um, it would be a, a, a weird timing of it because we're in our early thirties and we're married and you know, we, it's not usually what you do at, at that age when you're married, but it was like, this is an opportunity to, to live abroad and this program seems interesting and it would give us legal status in Europe. So we we applied and we for the months leading up to like when we were officially assigned, accepted, and then assigned to a place, it was every week new conversation. Where are we at? Oh, I don't think we should go. Like, oh, maybe we should go. No, we should. It was every week was like a new answer until we finally got placed. Uh, around July, the summer of 2019, we got placed in Sevilla and we had, we had traveled there uh, when we brought it a year and a half earlier and we loved it and, and we loved it. But we also both in that moment and that first experience we had both felt like this is a place that I feel like I could live. Like it's European and it feels special and it's beautiful, but it also just feels accessible because not every like, Not every place I've been and still am able to see, do I feel like, all right, this is beautiful, and I'm glad I'm seeing it. But I don't want to live in Assisi, which is like a, a, a beautiful village, like an hour and a half from here. But Sevilla just felt like I could, I could actually, you know, could see myself like settling into this place and calling it home. And then we got placed in the program in Sevilla, which was very fortunate because sometimes you don't get to uh, to teach in the city. Sometimes like you're out in a remote area and uh, which would be its own kind of experience, but you're really thrown out there. And we took that job and we, I stopped driving Uber and had been working for a company for uh, about a year and a half at that point. And, and she left her company and we said, Hey, we're, we're, we're going to go, start over in Spain and do a teaching year and then figuring it out, figure it out from there. Um, And we got there last fall, um, late, late September, 2019. And you, you, the job was fairly easy. The experience was um, it was a bit trying because I think I had been So up and down in in LA while I was driving Uber trying to figure out like, okay, what am I doing? What do I want to be? Am I like what am I what am I going to write? Like all these questions, like very existential. And I think I'd started to hang my hat on the fact that once we we make this move, once we make this change, like, oh, this is the solution, and then everything will be better. But that's not how Things work. And like wherever you go, there you are. And if you if there's something you're not facing, then it's gonna follow you. So I unfortunately, for my first few months in Sevilla, I, I was not fully engaging with the experience um, the way I I wish I had. Like I wasn't I wasn't throwing myself out there, I wasn't trying as hard to learn the language, and I was, you know, sometimes just like feeling just unable to to really appreciate what I had and to be proud of myself for doing it i, I was I was very uh, I was holding myself back from savoring a once in a lifetime opportunity um, and i didn't start to turn that around until early last year and as twenty twenty got underway, I started to kind of really just let myself off the hook, um, which, you know, I think is an important thing for anybody to do. If, if you're just constantly, you, you know this, Zach, like I have a tendency to, as much as it helps me as a writer, like I can overanalyze and I can be overly critical with myself. And right. I was really just constantly holding my own feet to the fire and just being just hard on myself rather than what you should always do, which is loving myself I and mean, being like, yeah, you're not doing great right now, but you know what? You can do better. And like, don't beat yourself up. And the second you start being mad at yourself or being mad at yourself, and then you're mad at yourself or be, it's just, it's just a spiral. And I started to turn that around in early 2020 and really started to like, live like in love with where I was and grateful for the experience and looking ahead to like springtime in Sevilla and and, and then like a summer in Europe when like our teaching year ended, which is why when the pandemic just kind of hit, it was, it, was a, it was like interesting timing and it was hard for everybody for a lot of reasons. But for me, it was like it kind of stopped my momentum. It felt like or initially it felt like dead in its tracks that this now, like rather than being able to like make up for lost time and seize the moments and just really, I was planning on going on like Camino, which is basically um, they have all these pilgrimage trails that go through. I, I actually thought about like me and you doing this someday. It's like pilgrimage trails that all lead to one city in, in Northern Spain, Santiago, where St. James, like, you know, did this, like, you know, he was like a pilgrim. So all the, all the pilgrims in Spain, like go on these hikes, uh, in the, in the, during, throughout the year. And you can just like do a section at a time. Yeah. And I was planning on like going off and doing one, just having this kind of like solitary experience and just being like embracing the beauty of nature, like the weekend literally after Spain was in lockdown.
1: Well, first of all, count me in for that pilgrimage and we'll just, just keep continuing to keep ourselves in uh excellent shape, both for this future pilgrimage and also for, uh, any over 40 soccer leagues that may be in our future. Um, absolutely because we always got to be able to bring it on the pitch. So, <laughs> so what, what, um, well, all right. So describe what happened sort of next, like you, and and kind of as I as we segue into the, you know, the, the, the current pandemic, cause it's still going, um, still, mm. you know, it's, it's at its, its as bad as it's been certainly in the United States. Um, right now in, in January, 2021. So, uh, nearly a year later from, from when it started to impact, you know, our lives in the States your your life in, in Sevilla. Um, so talk about what, what changed in your, in, in, and what it was like, I mean, obviously it's helpful to talk about, you know, digital connectivity and, and, you know, the obligatory shout out to zoom, and and all the zoom calls we started doing early and often, uh, in the beginning of the pandemic and the apartment you were in in Sevilla was challenging in that you weren't supposed to really leave for certain reasons, which you maybe can explain. And then you had like the most ridiculous, like single like window that let in a tiny bit of sun. And so you had like limited sunlight, and it just seemed like you were in, you know, I, I put you in the same category of, you know, friends I had that were in New York city in like really small apartments that were like, damn, this is, this is tight and there's not much escape. Um, yeah. so what was your escape and, you know, what was it like, what was it like, um, both there physically, but then sort of like virtually, you know, how were you able to tap into, you know, family and friends uh, back home and sort of get through that, that period of time. And and then ultimately, you know, what, you know, you can talk about what, what brought you to Italy.
0: So the lockdown in Spain was, I think the strictest in the world, or like among the strictest in the world where, um, Madrid was really the only place that was hit incredibly hard during the first wave. Um, Sevilla, where I was, never got out of hand, which was good. Um, but at the same time, and I, res- I respect the country for doing this. Like they just they put a lid on everything, and they didn't take chances. And we were not allowed to be outside, period, at all for seven weeks, starting in middle of March. Um, it was we. Ann and I had rented an apartment for the year. That was certainly not the, you know, dream version of our Spanish apartment that would have like a balcony that overlooked some big uh, big plaza um, that we could just like I could sit on and read and like journal and stuff. Like I was hoping to have that, but this is what we were able to find, and this is what was in our budget, and it was. Uh, a cave. We called it the cave. Uh, It was in the inside of a old building um, that had a kitchen that was kind of basically shared with a living room. We had a very uncomfortable, firm uh, futon couch that had no armrests, and then a narrow hallway that led into our bedroom. And that was it. Uh, a bathroom, so it was like a very small, uh, bare bones place. No TV, just because you know we were living in Spain, like we weren't planning on spending that much time in the apartment. whoops, uh, because we had to spend a lot of time in the apartment. Uh, we were just stuck inside. You could only go to your grocery store when you needed to shop. Uh, though we were able to skirt this rule several times. Technically, we weren't supposed to go to the store together you were only only one person from a household was allowed to leave at once. Um, we, in the beginning, would go shopping once a week because we were very nervous and we were very careful and we didn't want to run. We wanted to limit our opportunities to come into contact with people and certainly a grocery store where there might be germs. Um, but as as the time went by and the longer we were in lockdown, we would maybe go every every other day just because that three blocks that we'd walked to our grocery store was an opportunity to be outside and maybe feel sunlight on our face because we got no light in the cave. We were at the bottom level of a building that was, I think, four stories high. Um, there was no windows that faced outwards in the apartment, but there was windows on the inside. So like from our bedroom. And then wrapping up that narrow hallway that led into the living room and then like doors that led out into this little narrow um, patio area. And that was in the inside of this building. Um, just kind of, uh, I, I think it's an maybe you'd call it an atrium. Um, I think Anne told me it's on an atrium, but I always called it an atrium. And then at the top of the the building, if you as you panned up and you see like the four walls of the inner inner courtyard of your building just rising up above you, and then there was one rectangle of sky just <laughs> above us, and that was it. And that was seven weeks of life. And it was hard. It uh, it became a, a nice little joke that a lot of people seem to enjoy when I would post about the rectangle you know, on, uh, on Instagram and the rectangles crying today because it rained. And, um, maybe a little shot of, Oh, we had a cloud move across the rectangle today and there were birds flying across the rectangle. How nice. Um, and that was our only outlet to the, to nature.
1: Yeah. It was um, pretty funny period that the rectangle could have had its own Instagram account.
0: <laughs> it, it, it really could have. Um, <laughs> and I think the really, the great, the experience ended up being good for me because, in the end, like when when you've been like I don't know if you call it depressed, call it like lost, like whatever I was for like off and on for a few years, going back to when I quit my job in Hollywood and drove for Uber and and moved to Spain and was just constantly trying just to find like fixes and find all right, maybe if I do this, maybe if I do that. Like, just waiting for, like, the moment where, like, something just, like, you put the puzzle piece in it and suddenly I'd be okay again. Um, when you're in a situation like that, and, like, it's like being in a hole. You're, and you're looking up and you're seeing just one narrow patch of the world. And you are seeing, you know that there's more, but you also know that you're not capable of seeing anything beyond that right now and i did been in that and i i it didn't take me long in these circumstances and maybe part of this is just a writer brain thinking the way a writer does but like where i was like oh i feel like i've kind of you know been beneath the the hole in the rectangle like for the last few years hmm. um so, so it became a season,
1: metaphor it became a metaphor for some for for a place you had been and you had kind of battled through before
0: yes and there was, and to extend the metaphor, there was because of like you know the, the time of year. It was very early spring, and this was like a very straight up, uh, you know, courtyard. There, the the sun itself never shone on the rectangle. Like it was never in sight, and as a result, sunlight never hit the apartment. And as time went on in lockdown. Um, I started to notice, like, oh, the angle of the sun. Like, there's actually sunlight hitting like the top now of like the building, and like you know, oh, now now it's hitting the third story window. Oh, and now it's hitting the third story window. Hey, Anne, at 11:30, the, the the sun hits the third story window, and then it bounces off and it hits the second story window. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, we we might get some sunlight by the end of this thing. And it just became this like, you know, this like like it, it, it became an event to like just track the sun and it's like the movement of it. And like, you know, the angle of the sun gets higher as you move towards summer. And eventually we actually like before this lockdown ended and again, call me corny. I saw it as a metaphor. I, we were actually allowed to feel the sun on our face and it felt amazing. And look, I don't want anyone to ever have to go through the experience of just being locked into an apartment for seven weeks. But I want you to experience what it feels like to have the sun hit your face for the first time, like six weeks into it. Wow. Because that is that like I, I cried. It was it was just just such a beautiful, just like finally, like and you because I mean how 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 much in your life does the sun hit your face and you think nothing of it? Right. And now it was like it was the greatest gift like I'd ever had. Um, so that Time it, like in the lockdown, as hard as it was, and it was scary in the beginning because it was uh, there was this moment where it's like, okay, what is this pandemic, and what is it going to do to countries? Like, oh, now it's hitting America. Like, is my family okay? But once like we all kind of found our footing in this new world, I started to feel less scared and just more like, okay, like here's what's in front of me. The government of Spain just announced an extension of the lockdown for another week. I just need to get through this week I'm looking I'm focusing on just what I can focus on and what's in front of me and we're gonna to talk to our grandmother twice a week on our zoom calls while she's in her facility and she's safe now and that's what matters and our mother is furloughed but she's handling it well and we're talking and that's all that matters and like so far my both of my siblings are still working and that's all that matters and it just and I'm sure we've I think we've probably all had that just Moment where we just kind of stripped everything down and we just looked at things very bare bones and being like, This is crazy, this is scary, but I'm okay. The people I love are okay, and that's enough. And that's all I need the world to be right now. That's enough.
1: And it probably helped that your sort of focus and a lot of your the biggest tent pole event of your day was tracking the sun. And so, when you break things down to something that simple, then it kind of helped you sort of apply that same sort of you know sort of simplistic thought to the simple, basic checklist of things that mattered, like Grammy good, siblings good, mom and dad good. Like keep tabs on everyone and and just hunker down and and focus on those those basic elements of life that are most important and, and actually exactly. i think for me like this is why it was important and i'm you picked up on this before i could articulate it but i think it was in part of the reason why i was waiting to do a podcast kind of you know coming into this new year is because it's important to kind of be in a reflective state in general you know from one year in the next it certainly is when we've been going through a pandemic and i think what what I just described and what you went through, you know, in my own way, like that's a sort of, that's a sort of, uh, existential sort of exploration and sort of like, you know, ex- and sort of experience that, I, that I've gone through is one that has been, you know, kind of like do like, almost like a un like an inventory of like all the individual units of, of that, uh, that matter to me in life you know my wife my daughter our dog my family a job a job that i care about the people that i care about at that job and and you know my my mind and my body my physical health like taking care of myself and if it's one thing that the pandemic has afforded me which it sounds like it's it's afforded you it's just really figuring out like almost like the unit economics of my happiness and like the basic elements that are most critical to like a foundation and then in sort of establishing like common, simple practices against those individual units that bring me joy and, and give me purpose in sort of identifying those, honoring those through like, being a present husband and father, or, you know, being a disciplined worker and being a disciplined, um, sort of person, you know, working out, um, with all those habits sort of consistently, um, adhered to it. It feels like, and again, this is just, you know, me and the eternal optimist. I, i I've, to call me cautious, cautiously optimistic would be an understatement. I'm, 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 I'm ever, ever, and ever, you know, always sort of optimistic type. It's, it's, it's helped establish a foundation. I feel like to be better moving forward. And I, and, in a lot of ways, I, and with no disrespect to like folks who are dealing with COVID lost people, lost family to COVID, like COVID-19 is, is an awful virus that is, doing terrible things to, uh, individuals inside society broadly and, putting you know, businesses out, um, under, but I'm, but this is the only way that I can, this is a great way that I have found to, to, to move forward. It's i i I take, um, great lessons and I'm actually grateful for what the pandemic has afforded myself, you Keel, and people in my life that have embraced these, this as an opportunity, as an opportunity to break bread with your family every night, as an opportunity to develop healthy habits in your home, as an opportunity to sort of establish the type of foundation at your home, wherever it is, it's just with the people you love. You know, you're with your wife, I'm with my wife and kid and dog. And, and from that place of foundation, when the world opens back up, I'm on that more solid of ground to go out and with 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 no shortage of ambition succeed and accomplish things, and I just feel stronger for having sort of gone through that process um, so that' was a bit of a a tangent and hopefully not too convoluted of a mess. Um, and maybe you can help make sense of it and, and play some of that back to me if, if you agree or, or if you feel differently. But that's I totally agree. That's how I feel.
0: Yeah. I agree. I think that um, we need to be able to hold two complex thoughts at once in a lot of cases, but certainly with the pandemic. The pandemic is, is terrible. It's, it's, it's sad what it has done to... It's taken lives. It's ruined lives in some ways. And that is terrible, but like, it's okay to it's, it's good. Actually, it's probably necessary for taking this bad thing. Like you should take any bad thing in life and like learn from it and, you know, adapt and be grateful for your ability to adapt and, and adapt in a way that's going to allow you to live better not only just in this crisis moment, but like beyond it, because you know it's it's a long life, and it, hopefully and it's not always you know easy and it's not always going to be smooth it's not we, we can't control so much that yeah. comes at us and that influences the the kind of universe that we've created and it's why, like, I, you know, my lesson to myself, among, well, among many, but one of them was like, Kiel, give yourself a break. <laughs> like, right. like, the world's going to hurl a lot at you for the next, hopefully, 80 years. However, I, hopefully, I live a nice, long life. If we play soccer as old as we want to, maybe I will. <laughs> Although my, my hips and knees can't handle it lately. But, um, you know, if, if there's enough out there, that is going to make things difficult. So why are you making it difficult on yourself? Like the the, the inner monologue that like dominated me for such long stretches, but leading up to the beginning of 2020 was horrible. And it was and it and it and I'm not like there was a time where I was like ashamed of it and I was mad about. It. And actually, you and I had like a good conversation about this. Like you and Elizabeth. Like I was home in February. I had this little trip home because I was surprising our grandmother for her 90th and I hadn't really said it to you. And I hadn't told you what I was going through. And part of that was because I felt like, and I I feel like I've been this way since I moved to LA and I'm finally put this behind me where it's like, well, I've made these choices. So like, I better, it better, things better be okay. And I better be okay. Otherwise like my choices were wrong and people are going to like, Tell me, like, oh, I right, well then come back home and like, ver- like, which would never happen because you've never done anything but just support me and love me and and, and encourage me to do what I want to do. But like, you know, I drove Uber for a while, and sometimes it was great, and sometimes it felt like terrible. But I didn't want to like always reveal that to people because I felt like they might uh, just it would be like, well, then what are you doing it for? And then I moved to Spain, and I'm still struggling. It's like, well, then why'd you do that? And it's, but so. And I'd be like embarrassed about it. And I'd be ashamed of it. And I'd be angry at myself for feeling it. And I'd start that spiral I mentioned before. And I realized that like, especially like you can't do this with everybody, you know, not even every friend can be that friend to you that like, you can let them know when you're struggling and when you're in pain. And we all have to learn that the hard way sometimes that some friends can't be there, but like, you know, your brother is going to be there for you and, and your, and your sister. And, and even like our parents, like I naming it to you and Elizabeth that night and saying, this is what I've been feeling. And this is where I've been at. And I know it's not good. And like, and it just like, it was such a weight off the shoulders. And that was really the start of my momentum that kind of was like going in the right direction before the pandemic was just like giving myself a break and not being so hard on myself that I, hey, I messed up. Like, now, I'm in a period right now where it's like, God, thank God for failure. Thank God for things going against, uh, not according to plan. Because, like, that makes life incredibly beautiful and random and exciting. Now I'm grateful for all that. But at the the time, I was just like, I'm not controlling my destiny enough. I'm not a world-famous writer yet. Like, my first book was terrible, and I'm not even working on a second one yet. It was all this stuff where it's just like, dude, Back off <laughs> like you yeah. know let leave yourself be and, and and go out and live and the pandemic has allowed me to 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 fully do that and and I, there's been enough time that's gone by where i don 't feel like it 's a blip i feel like yeah i, I feel i feel changed I feel changed in a really good way that's amazing i'm so happy that
1: that um we ha- i remember we had that talk in February when you visited and the I think in that, you know, like to channel you know Brene Brown comes to mind, who's like, you know, famous for like embracing sort of your vulnerability and being, you know, open and expressive with the people you care about with it, which is something that you did that day. And, you know, it is a weight off your shoulders because the, the reality is chal, uh, struggle, struggle, you know, challenges, you know, struggles, like they're a constant in life. They come in very, you know, varying intensities, but we will always, um as humans i just actually got done over the holidays i, I did the i had started and stopped and not finished sapiens so i did the audio book and i went all the way through sapiens and that's one thing you know there's a few good takeaways from sapiens but one that's relative to this part of our conversation is that you know struggle is an absolute constant in the lives of homo sapiens like in, in us humans and and we will always face struggle so you know And, and a lot of the struggle we face is, is in front of us and outside of our, you know, it can be outside of our control. And, and a lot of it can also be, you know, inside us and inside our own minds. And, and what I applaud is that you've embraced that sort of vulnerable side and you thrusted yourself into new, you know, foreign sort of Theoretically theoretical and actual sort of experiences and from thrusting yourself into those experiences. I mean, looking at it from afar, it's like, hey, there's there's fewer places I could think that wouldn't be as enjoyable as spending the pandemic with your wife in you know, you, 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 as you, when you left Sevilla, you, you, you did some Airbnbs in Spain and stayed in some really beautiful places. You made your way to Rome. You spent some time in Rome as sort of COVID cases picked up again in sort of late, you know, 2020, you, you got to this house. You're in in Umbria. And I mean, you could, we could dedicate just a conversation to like, the, the life hacking of a pandemic that Kiel Video and, and his, and his wife have done. And that, you know, you're, you're both working for Olive in June. Now you're making, you know, good money, like certainly would be even good by United States standards, but you're li- you're making good money and you're, you're, you're paying sort of like, you know, Italian countryside sort of rent. And, you know, you have stable jobs, you're, in a big sort of beautiful, interesting, unique home in a part of the world, few, um, probably few people listening to this podcast may ever make it to, um, I certainly hope that I do. Um, but I don't know. And, and how cool is that? Like, I mean, it's, it's really, you know, and, and to kind of put another point on that, like there's, there's a lot of our friends, and you know say their names, but you you know I think some of the friends that that we have that were like at that point where they were like going to have a kid in twenty 2020, twenty 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 one and have kind of put that off, and they're waiting till the other side of this, and it's like there's a lot of like there's certain things about life that that are a bit on pause during the pandemic, and all you can do is sort of like control the not you know the variables you know the knobs in your life that, that you can. And it's really remarkable when you think about sort of the manner in which you're you're living in this in this pandemic right now. So I i it brings me great joy um as you and Anne being you know high priority sort of variables in sort of the equation that makes up my my happiness in this life. Um there are a few things that bring me greater joy than knowing you know how well you e- two e- are th- are thriving right now. Uh, so I just yeah, so I just wanted to share that and and share that with the world and and yeah I mean I'm you know I'm curious like how how is it like day to day right now in Umbria, like how is it in that big house and you know working you know for you know a company in LA doing business, you know, maybe you can share a little bit about, about what you're up to now, you know, work-wise and, and, you know, be curious, like if you're plotting, you know, what, you, who you're, who you've been reading recently and what you, you know, what you might be writing about. Uh, but just kind of paint like your present a little bit, like what's, you know, what, what life is like that right now and, and sort of, you know, where do you think things may be heading?
0: Well, to paint the present a little bit, uh, very specifically, uh the the sky is now kind of cotton candy pink to be clear cuz cause, cause the sun has set so I just wanted to update you on the on the image of the um of the Tuscan uh, the Umbrian countryside sorry outside my window nice. um but <laughs> yeah I appreciate you saying that and and yeah I definitely think that we've probably all realized that or a lot of us have hopefully that you know our happiness definitely it is easier when we see the people we love also happy and, and safe and, and healthy like that that goes a long way and and i feel the same about you and i also just feel like i i'm glad i don't need to be a burden right now uh i'm glad i don't need to be somebody that like you need to worry about um or that, like our parents need to worry about because um you know that's It's selfish in a way, but like I don't want to use that word because I know that people who sometimes are in those positions where like even just like the fact that like oh like I could see Keel struggling like he's not in a great place right now like it's not like that's something to hold against me because a lot of times when people feel ways like that like it's it's out of their control but like I'm happy right now that I'm able to be something that you can look at and just feel good and know that I'm good and and because sometimes like the best things we can do for other people people in our lives is just to focus on how we can be happiest which is one of like the the driving forces behind choices that ann and i have made you know our entire lives like I, i i i honestly don't think that there's just one life that like i'm destined to live that you're destined to live that anybody is destined to live i don't think that like if i just like didn't move to california when i was 23 that like you know, everything just goes haywire, like, you know, I maybe could have like, I could have found a way, I I could have lived that life. But like, I also know that as hard as it was to leave you guys, just like it then became hard to move abroad, like there was the same feeling that like, I need to do this or else I'm not gonna be the happiest me. I'm always gonna have this what if thing that like, dominates me in a in a bad way. And then what does it matter if I'm around my family? I'm not going to be the one, the, like the, the best version of me that they deserve. Um, and I feel like I have to remind myself of that now throughout this year, because, you know, I, I could, we, we could have come back. We could have come back when things started going crazy. There was a moment as Spain was entering lockdown where we were like, do we hop on a plane? Do we go... You know fly to boston and, and stay with zach and ella until this this settles down do we fly to chicago and stay with Anne's parents and and they, were, they like there's always these options on the table but it just became we realized that like no no, no we shouldn't like let's just kind of like we're good here like we'll we'll be in touch with everybody and it it occurred to me as the lockdown progressed and as we neared the kind of end of end of it and spain gradually let us go for walks in the evening. And then you could you could go to a restaurant as long as there was outdoor seating. And then you could be outside at all times of the day. And little by little we started to see things kind of not normal, but normal enough, certainly normal enough after life had been stripped bare to nothing but like your cave in the rectangle. And it hit me that like this situation of the world has really set the table for for us in like a, a, a great way, and I, 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 I feel some guilt saying that because I understand it's it's a tough time and there's a lot of people out there that struggle. And, but like the le- like I, all I would say is like everybody should should approach life this way. I believe like what is what do you want? What's possible? Now marry those two together and then live your yeah. life. And and I've been living that life for a while now. And all this pandemic did was just kind of like narrow. It just kind of, you know, it's, it's set like the parameters a little tighter and it like, you know, okay. Like, but, but we were still in Europe and we had this, we had legal status because we have a visa. Oh, and then the Spanish government extends it. So now we're really good. And then, oh, we pick up these jobs, like working for people back in LA where, where I'm using, all of those coordination skills that started by being Jerry Bruckheimer's guy who like organized his hockey tournament and did his nightly Sunday game. And not to mention the fact that I would have been organizing like three soccer games a week, really going back to like college. You know I, you know me, like I, I mm-hmm. did it in the film. Like I was Mr. Soccer. I was, you know, I did it for when, when you were like, when you were in college and we'd all be back. And, and then my role for Sean, like basically everything I'd ever done kind of prepared me to be doing the job that I'm currently doing. Um, And I'm grateful for that. And it's a challenging job and it's certainly challenging to be nine hours off of California, but I'm still able to do that job from here. Um, uh, The world right now demands short-term thinking. It it demands being okay with maybe only seeing a little bit up the road. Ann and I have been doing that for years. I've, pretty much started every year since 2017, where I've like, and I always think about this in January and I could say it right now, I have no idea where I'm going to be this December. And that is fine with me. It's exciting to me. Yeah. I haven't, I didn't know last, because like last January, Ann and I were not sure if we were going to teach again in Sevilla, would we go back to the United States? Does that mean going to L.A? Does that mean going to Chicago? Does that mean going to Boston? We have family everywhere. Like I, we are constantly not fully aware of what our future is. So the situation right now it's kind of fine with us, because we're living my life month to month, and we've sort of been doing that for a while. We lived in .LA. for a year and a half after we quit our jobs and traveled and, and then came back, and those entire 18 months really like any, any day, like we could have just both just talked to each other and been like, yeah, I think we're over it. Let's leave. But we kind of renewed our lease on LA for 18 months, 18 months at a time. Uh, so right now this version of existence is, I feel like it's what I was built for. And we, we had this fantasy that was, I probably said it to you, and I wouldn't fault you if like you with, withheld the eye roll, but in your head were like keel that is so silly and impractical, but where Anna and I came back from traveling and we're, I was driving Uber and she was working for all of in June and people were like, what do you want? It's like, well, what we'd really like is to be able to travel the world and like, but have like a mobile source of income. So like we were seeing places, but like, you know, staying there for a while, like maybe like a month at a time and then moving around. And that's a crazy wish and we are doing it and i never stop feeling grateful for that i never stopped feeling incredibly humbled by the fact that i have now lived three and a half or two and a half months uh in a beautiful uh house in the countryside with a big fireplace that must be lit every night because it's freezing here and farmhouses that are 300 years old, no matter how much they've been renovated are not well insulated. Um, Before that I spent a month in Rome and I love Rome and, and I love the history and I love just walking around and while like, I love reading my book about the Roman empire and then going for like a long walk and then seeing something that just showed up in the book I read that like was like from an event in like 250 BC. And before that, we lived in a beautiful mountain Pueblo in Spain for two months before we uh, before we moved ourselves to, to, to Italy because we, we kind of had a feeling that like, okay, COVID winter is probably going to be bad. Um, so we're going to end up probably riding out the winter somewhere. And do we want to go home? Nope, that still doesn't feel safe to go home. Okay, so we want to stay in Europe. We could still be in Europe. Do we want to stay in Spain? We could but you know what? We can fly to Italy. It's a two-hour flight. it will be uncomfortable with our masks on, and then we'll be in Italy, and then we can start riding this thing out in Italy. And as much as we love Spain, like, Italy is Italy. And Italian food is Italian food. And Italian wine is Italian wine. And for people who haven't had the opportunity to travel in Europe, if you're in Spain, you're getting Spanish things. You're getting Spanish food. You're getting spanish goods at the supermarket we, we could barely find parmesan cheese you could not find italian wine there was one pizza place well there were several pizza places but one actual <laughs> it's real pizza pizza place so we moved to italy and i i, I trace ours us back to the end of the pandemic and we've just been able just to kind of say like okay next month like we will feel comfortable leaving sevilla so we're going to go to this place and then feeling like, okay, now we're going to go to this place. And it's just been piece by piece, like laying out the road in front of us as we go and, but never feeling unsafe and always just reading like the kind of the land and something like, okay, we're good to do this now. So we'll do this. And that's, we're still here and we're still going to be here for probably the next month and a half. Cause I see no sign in Italy getting better enough that it makes sense to relocate anywhere other than where we're safe and comfortable. And then when that ends, whenever it ends, we'll assess where we can and want to go from there. And we'll just kind of keep making those decisions for as long as it feels like the smart thing to do, the right thing to do, but also just like what it's what we want.
1: I love it. So a couple, couple, Well, really one follow-up question, but there's a couple times there where you spoke of safety. You spoke of like, you didn't feel, you haven't felt unsafe in your travel and like right now you're hunkered down, so you feel safe. You mentioned going back to America, you know, going back to the United States was not really an option because of safety concerns, which I think are valid. Uh, What's it been like you're you're a mindful dude. I think at this point, you know, folks who have, have stuck around with us for this conversation, you you understand, like, you know, we, they, you know, y'all understand, kills a, kills a very mindful guy. So with that sort of give us a give give folks a sense and give me a sense of what it's been like to be abroad. During what and watch how the United States in particular has handled the pandemic and, and kind of speak to what's beneath the surface of you saying, well, going back to the US wasn't an option because it wasn't really safe. Um, like what, you know, can you unpack that a little bit?
0: Yeah, um, in one level, it is like, you know, we shouldn't be flying to Chicago to go, you know, stay with Anne's parents because then we are possible, you know, possibly carrying the virus and you know they're they're older so like that is part of it but like obviously like we could weather that storm whether we went to see them or we came to see you guys and like then live in the in in the boston area or maybe even crash with you like there might be an initial um quarantine incubation period Yeah, yeah quarantine phase but then we could we could do it and So it's possible, but that that in one way it's like it's that, and it's like okay, but is it worth going back and then having to deal with the discomfort of a quarantine? So that is part of it, but less than that, it is just the overwhelming sense, which is a very sad feeling to have because you know my brother knows how much I love our country. You know, I I, you don't you don't read presidential biographies, including like John. John Tyler and William Henry Harrison, who served for 11 months. You don't read like every presidential biography through the end of the 1800s, I will resume eventually by the way, without like being very in love with the idea of what your country is. Like I I am a patriotic guy. And so if anybody hears what I'm about to say, and they think that I hate my country, you can seek me out and we will have a conversation because you need to learn that people like me love our country a lot, despite a statement like this. From the outside perspective, from abroad, America feels like a very dangerous and a very scary place. And I understand that there's just isolated things that are happening. And like, in the end, it's a really big country. And thankfully, like none of this is occurring, like in like your neck of the woods and none of it's, none of it's touching the lives of people that I really care about, but it's still, there still is a feeling that like, I would be trading the beautiful tranquility and safety of my current situation for the unpredictable and chaotic mess that is the United States right now. And yeah. recent events with like the violence in the Capitol is is only something new. Like separate from that, like watching the politicization. Politi- uh, politiza- politiza- Jesus, you know what I mean. Watching people politicize, putting on masks since the beginning of this thing kind of disqualified America yeah. as an option. It's like, why would I want to go back to the United States and run the risk of like having to share a community? Because like, that's what it is. Like from the outside, just you, America just looks like we don't have any sense of community. And that's really sad because obviously we need to have that to survive. And we are in Spain and I got out of that, that lockdown and I was going on walks and I felt like I had, I felt like I was a part of that community now. And I felt like they were like, we were like out for like when you you have been locked down for seven weeks and then you're released for your, your evening Paseo and everybody's able to walk between eight and 10 PM and everybody is, people aren't just walking because maybe they're coming home from work. Maybe they're going to meet friends for dinner. uh, they're, They're going to a party. They're going to a bar. All of that's closed. The only reason people are out is for the sake of being out and for the sake of walking and for the sake of feeling like you're a part of something again. And when you have that experience and everybody is just like head nodding and smiling and, and that is one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had. And for the sake of feeling like you're a part of something again. And when you have that experience and everybody is just like head nodding and smiling and, and that is one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had. The most beautiful communal experiences I've ever had. Picture a moment at a a sporting event, like you know, you go to a Patriots game, you go to a Bruins game, whatever. Like, or like, you, 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 we we both had this experience of like being at, down at like Kenmore Square when the when the Red Sox won the World Series, mm-hmm. and when you feel just the same feeling and the same elation as the crowd that you're in, it is an amazing experience because you feel suddenly connected to strangers, and yeah. that is such a beautiful feeling to have, and. We had that in Spain, and there was there, there was a very small fringe that I never saw, <clears throat> I never witnessed it that was anti mask, But for the most part, people were good about it. People respected the rules. Pe- like I would be in contact with my friends who were teachers, so the, uh, who were Spaniards, and like they, there was this sense of like we need to do this for each other. We're going to be okay. We're going to come out of this. Like the, the Sevilla had to give up their Holy Week. That is a worldwide event sevilla celebrating holy week leading up to easter is a tradition that right before the lockdown i was afraid they weren't going to cancel and that's frightening because they have about a like mil- they have like uh, i think a million people that squeeze into the tiny little streets of this ancient city for like the carrying like these um altars around the city all week like all the different neighborhoods do it. And like people just flock to Sevilla for this experience. And it's been going on for for centuries. And they were laughing at the idea that, oh, we will never cancer Holy Week. Are you you kidding me? Like, oh, there was a plague in the 1600s and we waved incense. Like I was told this the day before the lockdown was announced by one of the, uh, the administrative officials at the school. And he wasn't kidding. He's like, oh, of course we'll have Holy Week. You know, we're going... We we, we waved incense in 1648 at the last plague, whatever the year was, and we didn't cancel it. And I was like, oh no, I'm going to die in Spain because I'm going to be stuck in the middle of this city that is, you know, ballooning in population for a week because of their Holy Week that they can't serve. And they surrendered it They made the hard choice to give up this event. And then Feria, which is like this market festival at the end of April, like they gave up like... traditions that these people honor in such like a proud way, they accepted that they had to surrender them and they accepted that like, we'll do it next year or we'll do it the year after. They made the hard choice. We're doing this together. Our country is in a tough spot. And they all, like, I, I would hear this. And then I'd look at America and I would look at the difficulty in just getting people to, you know, it stay home, but like be allowed to go for drive. I talked to our father and he's like, Oh yeah, we're in lockdown here. I'm just going to home Depot. So like, if you're going to home Depot, you're not in a lockdown. <laughs> like that's not what this is. And it just, it just made it very clear that, you know, all right. It, what I said before, like, what are the options at our disposal and going home is one of them, but going home came with just that, that situation that just, I didn't have enough confidence that, I would be safe, or maybe I would be safe, and sure, maybe I would catch it and more likely to not be okay. But would that be a happy situation? Like, would I that good for my happiness to give up this and to put myself in that? And the answer is just continues to feel like no. And that's sad, but you know, I'm making the most of it in being here and I'm grateful for it. But that's not an easy thing to, to come to the conclusion that your home is not your safest, you know, haven. Because it shouldn't
1: be that, and in part because you know we have a president who incites violence. So, it, it, there's what what any thoughts? I mean, I know you have thoughts, but like what what thoughts do you, do you have that you'd like to share about you know the Black Lives Matter protests of the past year and sort of how how those were met with with um, such a such strong. And at times, um, out of line uh, police presence uh, across the country, and certainly in DC, you know, juxtaposed with you know the recent uh, you know storming of the Capitol um, by Trump you know by Trump supporters. I mean, you see stuff like that too, and it's like to me that's the stuff that like because because I'll be honest, like I, I, I hear it, it, it's true, like even Massachusetts, which is a state that's done a really good job of managing the pandemic and folks by and large, certainly in communities like ours in Beverly have been pretty good, but you're right. I mean, there's there's a sense of, there's like a sense of entitlement at times and just um, naivete with Americans where the, you know there's large factions of folks that don't wear masks and you hear stories about, you know, supermarkets in Tampa, where if you're wearing a mask, you get scoffed at, you know, and, and so like, I totally get your like, that's real, you know, that that part of your rationale for, for, you know, a, a lack of certainty over safety is is certainly warranted. I think the bigger issue in America is, is sort of the type of violence that can come from uh, folks on either side, the far ends of this, of this big political divide we have going. And then, and then, you know, and you seeing those things, you know, boil like they did at the Capitol recently. And, 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 and hopefully we, we don't see, um, much around the inauguration this, this coming week, but sort of what, what's it been like to see that part of, uh, America sort of rear its ugly head. And I don't know have you've met some friends in abroad that, aren't American? And and do you have any insights from them on sort of, you know, what's happening, you know, just from a political standpoint in the country? um, And, you know, is, 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 is Biden enough to sort of shift things um, back? And I don't even know if back on track is even the right way to put it. Uh, But just sort of thoughts on, on sort of that sort of, on un- continually unfolding sort of situation and sort of the uncertainty around when you know violent uproars may come about in the US
0: well i feel like answer to answer that last part of the question like i don't think there's any shifting back onto a positive track as long as there's a right-wing media apparatus that exists now because we can talk about both sides and there being bad people that can do things on both sides but like there is a very bad problem of people just being lied to and living in a fictional universe, and then when their fictional universe isn't you, you know pulling all the same fictional facts that they that they uh, love so much, they go to an even more fictional universe, and of course, I'm talking about people leaving Fox News to go to OAN or Newsmax, which is just insane. So it's like, right? I, for, as, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Joe Biden could do anything. He could he could solve every problem in the world. He could like create a pill that like, oh, we or we drop hey, we dropped this in a volcano and global warming's fixed. And like he could just accomplish everything that it needs to be accomplished immediately, right now, in his first year. And with with the amount of people in our country that are still signed up to Trump, signed on to Trumpism like still getting their news from places like Newsmax and OAN and eat in Fox News, like it's not going to change anything. Like they're going to say it's bad. They're going to say that he's, he, he, it's socialism to to put the pill in the volcano that ends global warming. It's like, it, it, there's just, nothing's going to change. So right uh, that, that's, uh, that needs to change. And like, I'm done giving, um, I'm done giving any, leaving any room in my mind for like, Oh, like, let me consider, like, was this economic anxiety? Like why I'm done with that? Because those people have done this to ourselves and they've never stopped to reflect. And they, they leave no room in their, in their, in their worldview for the fact that, okay, like, I think this, but like, you know, somebody might be more to the left. Somebody might be a libertarian, somebody. When you
1: say those people, who are you referring to?
0: I'm referring to, to to Trump supporters, right? And the type of people who march in the Capitol, who apparently are still uh, are represented by, I think polls are saying like 56 percent of the Republican Party. So, uh, 75 people voted for Trump. So, do the math. It's it's a, it's a lot, obviously, uh, and it's and it's too many uh, from an international perspective. Uh, it, people are going to be are, are happy that it's going to be Biden, but at the same time. Uh, they recognize the impact of they they recognize what it's what it signifies that as many people voted for trump as 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 they did that because they're not They're not in, they don't need to like, oh, like we need to consider this other part of the country. Like They're not invested in that over here. They don't need to be invested in that. They're not American. They don't need to like make room for the fact that like, oh, well we have to like, you know, East Coast elites, like they do their thing too. It's like, no, they know what fascism is. They know what, what authoritarianism is. They know what truth is here. So when they see people, that many people vote for a fascist, vote for an authoritarian party that just deals with nothing but lies, not just it's like a different point of view, it's just based in lies. They think, oh, wow, America is not to be trusted anymore. And they've more or less thought, like, based on a friend who, who, who spoke to me and a very opinionated person, and it's just one person, he's like, he's, he said a lot of people in Europe have felt this way since uh, George W. Bush. Um, and we loved Obama. And then but now the, 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 the existence of Trump and the existence of the Trump this many Trump voters signifies to them that like, OK, we can never trust America because with your system, it just takes like a few thousand votes. And then suddenly we get the guy who is against NATO, is against like, you know, European cohesion, um, is pro-Russia. Like we like we and that's why a lot of places have started to move away. Right. Uh, and they've, you know, they're, they're making deals elsewhere. They're, they're, they're focusing on their own security. And I don't know. For all I know, maybe that'll end up being a good thing. I think the future of the world needs to be larger cooperation. Um, and, you know, we still have our, our nations, but, like, you know, the future is probably a more um, united front versus like, oh, we were united for a while after World War II, but you know what? United States is going to go hunker down again. And um for people who voted for Trump and they they think some some idea of American greatness exists with us treating other countries in the world the way Trump treated them. I, I would just I, I just don't understand what you think is great about us and like where you think the idea of our greatness comes from if suddenly everybody in the world thinks we're pariahs because Nobody likes this. Like nobody. The only people who like this are, are dictators. And so, like, I, I I've never understood that logic. Like, fine. Like, oh, okay. Like, we're not gonna we're gonna save money on contributing to an organization that actually helps out in the world. And like, yeah, we give more because we're richer. But like, where where do you think our greatness is coming from? And I, I guess that's a question that is at the heart of a lot of political opinions
1: right so uh, i'm curious thank you for all that like that was very thoughtful and and i'm curious like from the experience of having the unique perspective you you're you've been afforded being abroad during a pandemic but also um during a time of just incredible political divisiveness and at times like um horrible racism and, 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 and violence in America. Um, you know, you, you and I have talked about this before, but like you've mentioned that like the writers over time have been in foreign lands experiencing like global events and it's afforded them really interesting perspectives for like bodies of work that they've produced. So I'm curious what's percolating in you right now? Like what, Like And, you know, and and if this is, you know, if it it relates to just maybe some of the recent influences from some of the authors that you've discovered from traveling around Europe, um, you know, please, please share. Uh, But do you feel there's words to be put down in pages and perhaps an eventual book to, to kind of help you kind of work out? you know, bring, you know, bring what's inside of you out to the world and, and sort of like echoing what you said much earlier in the conversation, like you were, you were speaking to legacy, you were speaking to like why you enjoyed putting, you know, words down, um, and sort of, you know, authoring hopefully books, um, and and I know you sort of just got the one under your belt right now, but what, what's next? And, and do you have, do you feel that this experience, it, it, it certainly has afforded you a perspective where you could develop an interesting project. Are you developing anything like, and what are your, you know, what kind of working theses might you have in different, you know, directions you might want to take a book and also like what, you know, and, and then just what influences do you, have you found uh, in sort of the literary world, that 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 are helping sort of stoke your your fire, kind of into the future.
0: Well, I definitely feel like um, one of the things that I've wrestled with for the last few years since I wrote the first book, which, like I said before, was me trying to channel personal frustrations and kind of find my way in life while I was writing about that life in the book and then finding my way in the book was like, okay, let's do this again. And like, let's not write about yourself. You know? Like let's, you know, let's, let's, let's make up a story. Let's, let's make up a character. Let's maybe worlds build. And, um, I've tried a lot of that. <laughs> I have tried a lot of that in the last few years and I don't think I'm good at it. And I think that's okay because there's a lot of different ways to write. And one conclusion I've reached is i'm good at I'm good at my life. I'm good at knowing I'm good at making sense of what I've just been through and what it meant. And is there a story in there that is meaningful and beautiful and that can if shared with other people, could just enrich them, just make make them more like them plus my story in there just a little bit more? And that's really all I could ever hope for. At um, the same time, I think that I hadn't really written... I hadn't started anything for a while, even though I felt like, okay, like maybe I'll eventually like write about the experience of living abroad. And I think that was because I felt like I was in the story. And I didn't want to do that again. I didn't want to you know, dig my, like, just kind of find, like plot myself in the middle of the maze and then have to find my way out. I wanted to actually, I wanted to draw the maze from the beginning and, and, and like know where it was going. Um, I think right now that I am, and I, 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 I view life this way. I think life is a, life is very episodic. And if you are, if you are a screenwriter and you're trying to write films, they, they tell you, don't, don't write an episodic movie script. It needs to have your story needs to move in this direction. The graph of a plot, it better look this way. You better hit this moment on this page. You better hit that moment on that page. You better have your character that says this on this page and blah, 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 blah. I have, and it's not, uh, it's not something that I'm interested in doing because uh, I, I, I don't find that method of storytelling to be fulfilling. It's rather form- formulaic. It's, it's formulaic. And it's also um, it's just too restrictive, and it's to me it's just not real. Like I like writers, like my favorite writer of the last few years is Jim Harrison. Um, he was he, he wrote a lot about Upper Peninsula Michigan, uh, Montana. He wrote Legends of the Fall. Um, he, a lot of his books are like novella collections. But um, if, if you like, if, if you're interested in him as a writer, I, I suggest the book Dalva d-a-l-v-a it's a beautiful uh it's just about like a woman who lost the love of her life when she was younger and gave up the son that she had with him and she's trying to find that son now uh his book his books are just they're small and i mean that in a good way because i love watching great game of thrones i love watching like lord of the rings i love big sweeping adventure on my screen i don't like reading that i like reading books that are just a little bit of a life and what goes on between the ears because I'm not interested in plot. I don't care about plot. I don't find plot interesting. I don't find plot to be honest. I, cause life doesn't work out in the structure of plot. Like where it's like you're supposed to uh, plot is always going to lead in the same place. Yeah. Maybe there'll be a twist, but you know, there might be a twist. So it's really not that much of a twist. I'm interested in how people live experiences and how they respond to things and how people change and do they change? And if they change, how slow does it occur and what makes it occur? It's like, this might not sound interesting to you. And that's fine. Something I've accepted. That's what I love to read. When I find a book like that, where I basically just feel like I am slipping into someone's brain. Like that is the most amazing experience for me. It's like the most empathetic journey you could go on. And that's what I want to find a way to do. And I can do that if, if I look if i if I look back on my experiences and my journey, And because you can... We all know this. We all have our personal narratives. We can all like say like, you know what? There's a bit of a story here that if you start from this moment where I arrived in LA with this dream, and then when I quit my job, like that's a story. And like somewhere in there, everything that happened and there's certain points I can pick out, like there's an evolution there. And that's a story I'm going to tell. The one that I feel like interested in telling right now is the one about from the moment I come back from traveling, and I've quit my job, and I—you you might remember this—I called it the reset button. Like, I—I I just felt like my life was—it's the case for most of us. Like, my life was okay. Like, well, you always go to school, and then of course you're going to go to college if you can, and then, well, now you went to college, so you better get a job because you got to pay for college, and then, and then before you know it, you've like, oh, I'm thirty. Like, okay, like my life has been good, but like, how much did I actually choose here? how much choice did i have in the experiences that have led me here and i just said okay let's let's see what happens when you just like wipe the slate clean let's like clear the let's clear the deck Let's like, let's not, we want to write, like, let's, let's stop using all that computing power to like schedule meetings and to answer calls and to read scripts. And let's just, let's just clear the deck and like, let's just focusing on Like, Let's focus on writing. Let's create a vacuum. What's what you are in that vacuum. And and that and we did this trip and we were away from L.A. for six months and I traveled and I had experiences I never thought I'd have. And it like stoked this little fire about like going all over the world and seeing more of Europe and returning to the places where, you know, yours and my like great grandparents were born before they came to America. And it was just so beautiful. And I just got back thinking like, all right, well, now I've done that. And that experience was so trans- transcendent that like I am now keel 2.0 or maybe I'm keel 4.0 by now, but I am new keel and I am ready for, we'll see, but I'm ready. I know I'm ready for it. And and then the next period of my life ensued that to me was difficult and not always certainly not always perfect, but it led me to just an absolutely beautiful place. And that place wasn't external. It wasn't Umbria. It wasn't Spain. It was some place in between the ears where in the end, if we're, any of us is ever going to have happiness, it's the place we need to reach. Because like you can't solve your problems by by going to new countries and and like, you know and just going on a road trip like I love to do where like Ann and I went to Germany last winter and we rented a car and we spent 10 days just driving around Bavaria and then like uh, the Alsace region. It was, and it was, it was cool and like, I felt good then but then it was over and I felt bad again. Uh, cause I, and I started to feel like I was only good at the going. And I've been feeling that for a while, pretty much since I quit my job. And I have learned to be okay in the stillness, and I feel I feel strong, I feel positive, and I feel like it's a story that if I can, if I can just hold it down, and if I can find the right moments to 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 kind of play play like the moments that encapsulate those three years, like notes on a keyboard, that it'll come out beautiful. And hopefully, if I do it well, make the person who sits down and reads it one day, whether it's a year from now, two years from now, make them feel the beauty that I felt when I took a 14-mile hike by myself in the Spanish mountains in September, like right before we left for Spain. And I just felt like oh my God, life is beautiful. Oh my God, this this world is beautiful. Oh my God, I am beautiful. And I am so grateful for all of it. No matter what is happening in America, no matter how long this pandemic rages, like I could see it and I felt it. And it was just every bit of me just sang. and I want to find a way to tell that story. Because I think if I do it right, that other people can get that feeling too. And, and hopefully, and if they need to learn the lessons that I've learned the last few years, they can learn it too. And if nothing else, they can just have the experience because we all benefit from that empathetic experience of being with a writer and seeing things through their eyes.
1: Right. Well, what's really interesting about what you just shared is it's very relatable to Buddhism and just the, you know, the belief, you know, that, originated from, you know, the original Buddha of just like slowing down and, and, and sort of meditating on like just the present and loving, like, and appreciating the life and the things that you have. Right. And sort of Mm -hmm. the, the burden that kind of comes off of you when you just embrace, you know, the, you know, and, and have, and find great joy and, in the things in your life that are, that are yours, that are uniquely yours. Uh, and so I think that's, that's really, that's really cool. I mean, and, and then this is something that for listeners, I've done this hundreds of times to keel over the years. So this is the part of the conversation where I'm now going to play out like, Oh, based on my media and tech savvy, let me throw out to you like an actionable way that you could take that next work you know and future works of yours and like get that in front of people so what's interesting and keel already knows this because i shared i shared it with him a few days ago but as you know keel like you know and and for listeners if you don't know this medium recently acquired glose glose it's an ebook reader company out of france and it's actually like a it's basically you know Kindle, you know, it's an it's sort of a platform agnostic Kindle, like you know, close just has like iOS and Android apps, and you basically can acquire, you know, you can find book titles and 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 read and read books and 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 walk and and it's just very sort of you know fluid, smooth sort of book discovery and consumption sort of platform and so medium is moving in this direction with with glows that i find really fascinating it it also involves an audio component so you can bring the book to life in in a few different sort of formats not just just text but but also um verbal now what's interesting is like akil if i could give you you know any advice and you know i always i always you know will and, and you've ultimately blazed your own trail but I think it, it medium to me seems like a place for authors to share their sort of short stories over time, and you know, call them vignettes if you will, like whatever you want to call them. Um, but sort of build, you know, a, you can build an audience around sort of those those short stories, and then to the extent that you can build up like a decent audience in in the similar way that's happening over with Substack and all these wonderful journalists that have gone independent and and are going the sort of direct to consumer like subscription model with their, with their great, you know, musings via their exclusive newsletters. Uh, it, it seems to me medium is going to be a really great place for a, a new generation of authors to share whatever it is that are the stories that they want to bring to the world. And it's not these, you know, historically typical hundreds of words stories and, and, but more of these like little ec- journeys, you know, into the brain of an author kind of sharing unique experience. Like, I think there's a real opportunity for you to embrace sort of the medium gloss sort of platform, um, as a storyteller. And I know you still love just, you know, pen in your hand and, and a journal to write in and, and a physical book to read. Um, but I, but I think over time it, it, it could be really interesting to kind of see you lean into that. And, and for listeners too, if you're, if you're, uh, if you're listening to this and you're at this point, uh, in the talk where like you're, you have, or maybe you've aspired to write, I mean, definitely check out what medium's doing. Cause I think that they're really looking to champion authors and, 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 and create a really good sort of digital, platform to, you know, go, go, you know, to, to execute, you know, a, a direct to consumer sort of, um, you know, book entrepreneurial sort of experience for folks. So, so yeah, uh, you know, and, and this podcast was not brought to you by medium and that was not in the, that was not a paid sponsor ad right there. Uh, but, you <laughs> know, I would I would definitely, I would definitely check, I would definitely check it out. and And to the extent that, that we can collaborate on something like that um I believe that the world would will love to have an increasing number of sort of like I maybe am misspeaking when I say this and i'll I'll pause in a moment short stories from Kielsa video like i I love that idea I mean i the attention span of the modern citizen global citizen is just it's less it's for you know our our attention is so much um scattered about so many different things. And so, you know, t- I think the idea of, of being an author that writes like, you know, shares, you know, st- short stories or, and, 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 and really exposes unique moments in life um, in, in, in relatively brief ways, at least, you know, compared sort of sort of to what books have historically been. I think it's really interesting just migration for the sort of, um, for authors in general, um, and looking to kind of like tap into and impress upon a a large audience, their, their stories. I think it, 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 it's, it's not a bad move to, to maybe focus on a little bit more, um, stories that would fall in the category of, of sort of short and, and succinct, as opposed to sort of like long and and whimsical. So I I don't know if that resonates with you, but those are just like a few thoughts kind of, you know, ideating out loud here. Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, it does. And I I do think that in general, I need to start getting more comfortable with just sharing. Um, I think that, and this is part of like being, you know, alive in this time where the first place I really was like sharing publicly was like Facebook. And for the most part, I'd get like positive feedback to things I'd say like the 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 negative would hang heavy on me, and I think that you you always would you've always told me not to give those as much thought as I have, which was always the right advice and it's taken me a while though to feel okay with that, and I think part of that was because of an insecurity I had where it's like um oh, they figured it out. I'm actually not good. Like I thought I was. And, I, and I'm just, which is imposter syndrome, according to a therapist that I spoke to when I was under the rectangle, which is spot on. Like, and I think a lot of people feel this way that like, you know, you you feel like, oh, everyone's about to figure out I'm a big phony and a big fake. And I think I felt that was, if anybody crit- critiqued something, if anybody didn't like it, if, if it just didn't work with them, that meant, oh, it all came crashing down. And you might remember this when I shared my book for the first time and I emailed a bunch of friends. And I was pretty much now part of this was because a lot of these people were Hollywood people. And I had to, like, you know, Hollywood people can't help but give notes. So I had to be very clear. like, guys, I'm not looking for notes. I don't need, you know, you to like tell me how to, ch- like, this is done. I've been writing for three years. I'm not going to do another draft. So I just need you to read it and let me know your thoughts and preferably just give me an attaboy. And like, and I think part of that was okay, but part of it was like me just being weak and being like, I can't handle you not like just accepting this warmly. And I don't feel like I need to be that way anymore. I think part of that is because I can feel good about what I write. And I can also know that like, not everyone's going to like it and that's okay. It doesn't necessarily invalidate the whole thing. So I, all that being said, I would love to start sharing stuff more. Like i thought about, you know, I you you know this, like the only social media I really use is Instagram, which is not exactly the best place to share if you're a writer, but at the same time, like I I can find little ways to share a short story. And I might like do like, you know, readings of like some things I've written. But um yeah, I would love to maybe talk further offline about setting up on on Medium because I do want to start putting stuff out there in a place like that.
1: Nice. Yeah, you should. You should. Um, so, I mean, as we're kind of uh, uh, going to be wrapping up soon, this has been amazing. Um, I, like I'm curious if you could, you know, we did the pre-podcast questionnaire and one of the things that I, I asked you is like what you're most looking forward to when you come back to America. And you mentioned seeing, you know, seeing our grandmother, the beloved Grammy, uh, Joanne video. Shout out to Grammy um, and, 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 and doing a nice video party. Um, why don't you tell listeners what a servideo party? what's the servideo party that you envision look like? What's the time of year? Where are we? What's happening? It's a pool
0: party. It's, okay. it's a pool. We got to get, we got to get more than just that inflatable kiddie pool that Mila has. Um, Cause If it's, if it's like, it's, it's, it's our childhood parties, or it's really like, I was telling, I was talking to my wife about this recently. And it's, it's that period where like you and I were in college and we'd be home for the summers and we would host that 4th of July party where like, it was all of our cousins and our uncles and our aunts and Grammy. And then like a lot of our friends and even like some of our, our parents' friends and all of our friends were friends with our cousins. And it was just like, It was just like the prime time of like Mr. Video family. Where like I just felt like I would just look around and be like, literally, everybody I love is here. Like, how lucky am I? Yeah. Um, And obviously, like as you get older, people go their separate ways. People get disconnected for completely natural, unavoidable reasons. Um, So I guess like I would prefer that, but like that's that's impossible. So. What would be great would be like, you know, the party that we had for for Mila's birthday a couple summers ago when I was back in, in, in your backyard and our family's there and friends are there. And then like I get to have that existential crisis when I look at like my brother's kid and then this friend's kid and that friend's kid because... That's always like a just like blows my mind because in my head we're all still like just out of college and and figuring out who we want to be with our lives and I'm just (laughs) like people are people are already who they're gonna be and it's just like it's always like a a a, a, like a eye opening for me Um, but like that kind of thing would be just I think it would be a really beautiful experience it would be a beautiful experience in in any world but post pandemic I think that that kind of collection will just really hit us all on the gut like it's going to yeah. be like this is special and we're going to value it a lot more
1: yeah no i can't wait for it and 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 i'm sure you know a few of our good friends that are listen to the podcast regularly I had a couple like i had mark mark bresnahan shout out to billy bob brez um he was like where's the podcast at i haven't heard a new episode in a couple months he's going to be stoked that that we're coming back um with one together Uh, yeah
0: Yeah. and as long as as long as like we just set the record straight that i know that there's a lot of rumors out there that because mark bresnahan visited me in spain in march right before the pandemic lockdown and right before things got back and uh, things got bad in america mark is not patient zero and i really (laughs) think that everybody needs to just not point fingers at him for bringing the pandemic from europe to the united states because um even if he did do it he didn't do it on purpose And that's yeah right.
1: yeah and if he's feeling any guilt about it like he you know he should try his best not to feel too guilty because like he didn't he may not have done it but he also could have but let's just say he didn't let's just say he wasn't
0: yeah he, he he should bracket a couple hours every day just to feel really guilty but then, then go on with his day. That's what yeah. I, I, would advise he does.
1: Yeah, he's gonna have to. Yeah, just do a lot of good deeds to kind of make up for this, like one massive, like you know, pandemic sort of um, acceleration uh, agent that he, you know, role that he that he may or may not have played.
0: Yes, and this has been a window into the Servideo boys and one of their best friends, who they've known their entire life, and the way they treat him and have treated him since he was a boy
1: poor guy mark mark presnahan just now i'm now we're going to go on one one just side story mark the thing the thing that i love about mark is he re, he's rebounded so well from uh from hitting his funny bone in in third grade <laughs> he shut down <laughs> shut down our elementary school in third grade he banged his elbow on the desk he fainted he fainted for a good minute every class was just people people were beside themselves i'd never seen a a child pass out like that before. Um so it's, it's just been wonderful to see Mark just really make a triumphant sort of uh return from that that horrific um funny bone incident for years, for years and still to this day, we'll still occasionally call him Funny Bone. Um or F B. Which is ironic because we call him FB and then sometimes we flip it around and call him BF Butterfingers for uh for um missing balls at third base but then when he would do well, when he would do well at third base, we, we would call him Hoover. Um, right. So it, it just all, it just all depends. But what I was getting at and bringing up our friends is that I know that they're listening and I think that they'll, um, I know that they'll enjoy sort of the hearing about the servideo party to come when you do return to America, because whether it's Ben Mark or, you know, Mike Del Greco or, Shout out to Ronnie, Ronnie Aldawani. These are all people who have been at servideo parties over the years. And, and we have so many cousins and inevitably one or two cousins doesn't make it to every holiday, but there's tends to always be a few of our friends that are at the holidays. And so they pick up the name of, you know, fake cousin, whoever doesn't make it. So, you know, our cousin Lucas doesn't make it to every holiday. I think, you know, Ronnie, Mike, they've each been a fake Lucas before, um, And it's an honor. It's an honor. It's
0: it's a, yeah,
1: yeah, it it truly is. Um, I'm looking forward to getting all the, uh, all the family together when, when you are back. And in the meantime, we'll keep doing our, our zooms. I think we, we cruised so, so long on this podcast. I think we cruised right by when we had like a tentative zoom scheduled with, uh, with mom and, and our sister Stephanie. So we'll have to, uh, We'll have to reschedule that. <laughs> we'll have to reschedule that one, but it was for good reason. And then and I'm sure they'll enjoy this. Uh, anything kills. Any, I feel like we covered a lot that like most of what we wanted to, like, is there anything else that we didn't, we didn't tackle uh, that you wanted to while we were, we were here today. Uh,
0: not, not for me. I hope that I didn't come across as too much of a rambler. Um, it, I think one of the problems was sitting down and having thoughts like I have, but at the same time, the ability to type them out and then edit them is that when you just start like talking, like you maybe have stuff to say, but it's not yet put in the organized form. So hopefully it wasn't too much all over the map, but I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that, you know, I, I, I love what you're doing with this. And I think it's, it's very additive to your community and I think it's been additive to you personally. I think just the experience of doing it and of talking to people has been. Um, it's just I, I think it just makes you. I'm going to use this word again because it's just the way I th- see things. It's like just w- another way that like you're a little bit more. You know, you were already a great guy, and you already had you know a desire to bring to your community and be a have a positive impact on uh, on the people around you and, and the 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 place that you are in. But by by doing Boston Speaks Up, it, it, I think it's amazing that like you are now adding just this other level of commitment to being better, to being more, into into adding to adding to others and to adding your community. So I'm I'm just super proud of it, and and I love you for it, and I love you for a lot of other things. But I just wanted to to say that, and it, it's why I'm I'm very humbled by the fact that you uh, would give an episode to me and I hope it wasn't a waste for anybody.
1: <laughs> well, uh, this is, you, you've, you've given, you've given a ton and I think, thank you. And this is, this is just, it's, it's a really nice way to start the year, kind of keep it real and, and let the, let the audience, whomever might decide to tune in for a couple hours. This will definitely be the longest podcast ever and appropriately. So, I mean, you're my, you're my best friend in this world, Keel, And, you know, I appreciate your encouragement. Perhaps like like you, as as you kind of explain, like you appreciate attaboys, so do I. You know, Attaboy's encourage you know, encouraging thoughts are always um, not just appreciated, but like they fuel me. Like I know they fuel you. So I, you know, your encouragement it, it means it means the world to me, and your support and your love is and and your happiness is just it it's it's intertwined with mine. So thanks man. I'm, I'm stoked. We did this. This won't be the last, like, we'll well, we'll, we'll be speaking again and find, and find ways to to share with the world and to, to the, to the few people that, that choose to listen, like, you know, hopefully um, it will impress upon them some, some positive things, but thank you for doing this. And, and thank Anne, uh, thank, thank your wife and Anne for, for giving you, uh, for giving you all this time to to catch up with me on, on a Saturday. And and I love you.
0: I love you too. And I just want to thank Anne for minding the fire while I did this, (laughs) because I couldn't, I couldn't both record this with you for two and a half hours and watch the fire. So I appreciate Mm -hmm. that she, she stepped it up.
1: So one thing we'll have to do well, a couple of things. So we, you're going to need to give us a little, a few photos and we'll have to do a little photo gallery in the post we put up on medium, just showing folks like that, just angelic scene that that is your sort of Umbrian countryside farmhouse. And um, is the popcorn sort of sunset sky officially gone? And is it now dark? Like give us a final, you know, paint the picture as we get ready to say goodbye.
0: It is dark, there are twinkling lights of distant hillside stone villages and the stars above are bright and plentiful.
1: That is a perfect way to end. Kiel, thank you so much.
0: I love you, Zach, thank you. And uh, thank you to everybody who, who listened.
1: Love you, bro. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers, Boston.